All right. While they receive the offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles? Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Your boobles? Josh, you pull it together, bro. Um, pull, pull out your Bibles. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat. It's a white Bible. Um, and, and Luke chapter 5 is on page 502 in that Bible. Um, 502 in, in, the white, in the white Bible, Luke chapter 5. Uh, we started a series last Sunday in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and we're going to be walking, as I said a minute ago, we're going to be walking through the, through the Gospel of Luke all the way up to Easter. The Gospel of Luke um, is one of four Gospels. The four Gospels uh, were written by four different men um, re- recalling, recounting um, moments in the life of Jesus, tracking with him all the way from his birth all the way to the re- his resurrection from the dead um, is, what the, is what the Gospels follow. And they share stories of things that um, were seen that he did along the way. And so if we're going to be all about leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus, if you want to grow in a flourishing relationship with Jesus, if you want to grow in a flourishing relationship with anyone, uh, you got you to gotta know them. You, you got to draw near to them. And so my prayer and our prayer, our hope in the Gospel of Luke is that um, as we study his life, that you would draw near to him, that you'd be tracking along, that during the week, that you'd be reading through the Gospel of Luke uh, on your own, in your home dur- during the week. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at one of those stories that I pray uh, draws us nearer to Christ, gives us a better understanding of what, was, what he was passionate about, what he wanted you to know, what he, what he wanted me to know when he, he was during his time here on earth. Um, and it's, it's a famous story that takes place in a city called Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is a place where, where Christ uh, spent a lot of his ministry. Capernaum uh, sits on uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, if you grew up in church, you probably heard of the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus walks on water, he's walking on the Sea of Galilee. He spent a lot of his life um, living and uh, teaching and preaching and performing miracles around the Sea of Galilee. Um, when he feeds the 5,000, they're on a beach, on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and so it's a predominant place where Jesus spends a lot of his time. And one of the major cities there was a city called Capernaum. And Jesus is in Capernaum. And in Luke chapter 4, we, we, we studied a little bit of Luke chapter 4 last week. And um, in Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus in Capernaum, um, what we see towards the end of Luke chapter 4 um, is Jesus begins to perform uh, some crazy miracles in Capernaum. Uh, the first thing he does is he casts out a demon from someone. Uh, the second thing he does is he, he relieves um, Peter's mother-in-law is super sick. She has this crazy fever. Um, and, and so uh, Jesus, um, Jesus uh, heals her of this fever, and in an instant, a moment, it's like she was never sick. She's running around, serving them, cooking up a hot, hot meal for them um, like, like nothing ever happened. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 4 to heal many people, it says, and cast out many demons in, in Capernaum. And so when that happens, okay, when, when something like that happens, which I, I know has never happened for you, but if it did, right, if somebody showed up in Bountiful and all of a sudden... Um, crazy things are going on, crazy things happen, uh, that's going to make the news, all right? You are going to tell people about that. You're, you're going to tweet that out. That's going to go on Facebook. You're like, dude, there's somebody here in Bountiful that's going crazy, right? Um, and people are going to start showing up, right? People are going to start showing up from, from all over the place, and that's what happens in Capernaum. Uh, people from all of the surrounding towns and cities and villages, from, from 
And that whole region, all the way up into the city of Jerusalem, um, they flocked to Capernaum to see, man, what is this guy doing? What's going on there? He's drawing a crowd, and they pack into a house at Capernaum. And this is where our story takes place, in this house. And most people believe it's, it's Peter's house, right? Peter lived in Capernaum. That was his place, lived there with his wife and his mother-in-law. Peter was married, by the way, um, I've always tried to, try to figure out, man, why, why is it that the Pope can't be married, right? Why is that, why is that like a thing? Because the first one was, um, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Uh, probably going to get an email on that one, but he was married. Um, that's, where, that's where our story takes place. Peter's, Peter's um, house there with his wife and his mother-in-law is where, people, where scholars believe that this story takes place. Luke's, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from, right here it is, every village of Galilee in Judea and Jerusalem, right? So all of these kind of well-known um, authorities in Jewish culture, Jewish law, um, these rabbis, these scholars, they show up, they pack into this house in Capernaum, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed who was paralyzed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. All right, um, we'll stop there for a minute. This story has always, always kind of confused me until a couple of years ago. I could never quite figure it out because it doesn't make a lot of sense, okay? If you had a friend who um, needed to be cured and you heard there was a guy who was curing diseases and um, you carried your friend all the way to this house and uh, you realized, man, it's just chocked full of people, right? What is your, okay, grown adult, what is your response? Like, what do you do in that, in that moment? Until he comes outside, man. I mean, he's going to come outside at some point, right? He's not going to stay in the house forever. Or you just say, hey, excuse me, my friend's paralyzed. Could we, could we get kind of closer to the front where you can get a better, better view, right? Um, and hopefully people are nice and, and they just kind of move out of the way and they, they let you in. Like, that's, that's the normal response. Like, that's, what, that's why this story doesn't make any sense. Until a couple years ago when I realized, so this story takes place in three of the four Gospels. It takes place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew and Mark, they're, 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 the way that they write this is a little bit different than Luke. When Luke talks about this person, um, these guys who are bringing in this, this paralyzed person, uh, Luke just refers to him in the Greek as, as a person, as a human being, as, as just, like, just a man. But Matthew and Mark refer to him in the Greek word technon, which means child or kid. You see... You see, and, and when Jesus refers to him in Matthew and Mark, he refers to him as a son. He says, son, um, he refers to him as a, as a child, as a, as a kid. And, and you see, what it is, is these, these are just a bunch of boys. I don't know how old they are, seven, eight, nine. 
And, and then the study actually, the, the story actually begins to make a little bit more sense, right? Um, these boys have a friend who, who they used to play with and play games with, and they used to run around and create all kinds of trouble for their parents. Like, this is what boys do. And all of a sudden, something happens to their friend. We don't know what happened, right? Um, maybe, he, maybe he had a fall. Maybe, maybe something fell on him, and he ends up paralyzed, right? And they hear, they hear that there's a guy in Capernaum that can, that can heal people from crazy stuff. And so these boys, right, they, they load up their friend on his mat. They're like, oh, let's carry him there. We don't know how far they travel to get there, but they, they carry their friend to Capernaum. They get to this house. It's jam-packed with all these guys who think that they're better than everybody else, right? These Jewish leaders and officials, they're in there. They're like, boys, just go. Get out of here. Like, leave us alone. And I'm, all right, well, what are we going to do? I know. Somebody comes up with this great plan, right? Let's just cut a hole in the roof, and we'll just, like, shove them in there. We'll shove Johnny in there and just see what happens, right? Like, that's, listen, no adult thought that up, all right? I'm just telling you, I got two boys. No adult thought that up, all right? And they're just like, well, we'll just climb up on the roof, and we'll just cut a hole in that roof, and we'll shove them on in. And all of a sudden, these, these religious leaders are all sitting there, and they're, all these, like, officials and smart scholars are sitting there, and all of a sudden, stuff starts falling into their hair. Like, what is going on? And these, like, little boys, like, peek their heads in. They're like, yep, and, like, shove them in, right? They lay them, and it doesn't say their intent, right? It's just, it's just to lay them before Jesus. Like, that's what um, the author says, but we know what their intent is. Man, there's a crazy man in the room that can heal diseases, and, and my friend's got a, he's, he's paralyzed. Well, what's his, this is his best shot. Maybe this, will, maybe this will work, right? They have this, they have this deep faith um, that the person in the room is, is the Messiah. They have this deep, childlike faith that, man, Jesus is going to heal their friend. And the next words, the next words that come out of this are the same in all three accounts. In all three of the Gospels, the words of Jesus are the same. Verse 20, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus sees the faith of these boys, when he sees what's going on, he, first of all, he, they're cutting a hole in Peter's reef. He's got to love that. He's like, dude, this is awesome. Um, they're shoving this kid in, and, and he, see, he just sees them like poking their heads in, seeing what's he going to do, right? And he sees just the faith of these boys, and, and he sees the, the love that they have for their friend, and the love that they have for Jesus, and the hope that's in their heart. He says, man, your sins are forgiven, now, you just got to wrap your mind around that for a second. Jesus just gave this boy the greatest gift that he could have possibly given him. Man, your sins are forgiven. They're vanquished. They're gone. They're, they're as far as the east is from the west. They are, they are, they're removed from you. There's nothing that stands before you and God anymore. Like you can now approach the throne of the Almighty. Praise be to his name. Your sins are forgiven. Like this is an amazing thing, right? Because of their faith, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And their faith rescues them. And Jesus in that moment says, man, your sins, it's over for you. Draw near to the most high. Live free. No, no, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. It's gone. This is amazing. So what's the response in the room? Do they, do they rise to their feet and begin singing praises to the Most High? Do they say, man, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us. This is incredible. I want my sins forgiven too. Not quite. Verse 21. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy think he is? Who, who is this man that speaks blasphemies? We came all the way to Capernaum to see some healings, and we came to Capernaum to hear good teaching, not blasphemies. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? No one can forgive sins but God alone. God is the only one who can forgive sins. And here's the deal. The scribes, the Pharisees, the scholars, they're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. No one can forgive sins except for God alone. And to say that you can is blasphemy. You're absolutely right. No one has ever had the power or the authority to forgive sins. No one has ever earned the forgiveness of sins. No one has ever done all the right things and impressed God with their amazing good works. No one has ever earned the right to forgive their own sins. No, no priest has ever had the right to forgive sins. Um, no, no prophet has ever had the right to forgive sins. No king has ever had the right to forgive sins. Uh, no, no one has the right to forgive sins except for God alone. They're absolutely right. They're right. And here's what Jesus does, says next. He says this in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, when he straight up read their minds, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on, and he went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they were glorified, then they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus knows that these scribes, these scribes know truth. They know the word. They know it's true. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And so Jesus says this, what is easier? Which is easier? Tell me which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to a paralyzed boy, rise, get up, and walk home? Anybody can say your sins are forgiven, right? Your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. I can say it all day long, right? Anybody can say that. How do you know it's true? So that you may know. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up, pick up your bed, and walk home. Walk home. And the boy gets up, he picks up his mat, and he goes home, glorifying God. He goes home. And, and, and everybody in that room is filled with awe and wonder. They're absolutely blown away in that moment. And here's the thing. I, I think that what Jesus wants, what he wants the people in that room to know, what he wants the people in this room, flourishing grace, what he wants you to know in this story, what Jesus wants you to know is that he has the authority to forgive sins, right? That's your, that you may know, that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on earth Rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
That's what he wants you to know. What he wants you to know that he is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He has all authority over all things. All things belong to him. There's nothing in this universe that, that he can't put his finger on and say, that's mine. He is the God of gods. He is the king of kings. And he has all authority. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to say to that boy, I'm coming back for you someday, and you and me, we're going to walk in paradise. Your sins are forgiven. You can now stand before God. But the people in the room, they miss it. And I think most of us miss it too, if we're honest. You see, if you read the rest of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to study it together over the next several weeks, if you read through Luke, you see again and again and again and again and again, people come to Jesus and they say, heal me. This is broken. I'm sick. I can't figure this out. Heal me. And a few chapters later, uh, Jesus comes back to Capernaum, chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, he comes back to Capernaum and, and there's a Roman centurion that finds him there. That's seeking Jesus. He says, I got to find Jesus because one of my servants whom I love is sick. I want Jesus to heal my servant. What he doesn't say is I have a servant who needs the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't say that. He says he's sick, right? And the reality is that that's just, that's just how we are. We don't think, man, I need Jesus to forgive me. I need him to forgive me. I need him to fix me, right? But Jesus in that room that day um, cures what is earthly, this earthly condition, in order to demonstrate his authority over the eternal condition. He cures the earthly condition of the paralyzed boy in order to, in order to demonstrate his authority over the eternal condition. And you and I, we are the same way. I've been a pastor long enough to know that most people, when they show up to church, they show up to church for the first time in a long time because something in their life, something earthly in their life is broken. Jesus, Jesus, heal me. My marriage is a wreck. Jesus, heal me. I'm addicted to this. Jesus, heal me. I have depression. Jesus, heal me. I have anxiety. Jesus, heal me. Um, I just lost my job. Jesus, heal me. Um, I just went bankrupt. Jesus, heal me. Right? We, this is why we come. This is why we engage. Very, people, very few people come to Jesus and say, man, Jesus, heal me. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need eternal life. We miss the greater gift. Because sometimes the lesser gift is a little bit more obvious. A little bit more obvious. Let me show you a picture. This is my mom, Marsha. Gotta love Marsha. Um, Marsha is the greatest mom ever. Um, and if you think that that's not true because your mom is the greatest mom ever, that's okay. You can think that, um, but you're wrong. Um, she, she really is. She is. She's the best mom. And Marsha came out this summer, and we had, a, we had a little boy, Haddon. He was born in June, and my mom got sick. She got really sick. She went to the ER and ended up spending uh, just, just 30 days in the ICU. She, she came down with septic shock. And here's, here's a picture of my mom in, in the ICU, and I didn't ask for permission to share this. She doesn't even know I have this picture, but um, that's her. And, and three different doctors told my dad and I, they said, man, fellas, yeah, he, he, he's not gonna, she's probably not going to make it, fellas. In fact, one doctor said, now's kind of the moment. You should probably prepare yourself. Like, this is, this is probably going to be it, like this one right here. I was like, golly, this is crazy. Like, what is happening, right? One day, like, everything's fine, and she's healthy. We're, like, riding roller coasters at Lagoon, and the next day, like, this? 
Like, what is going on, right? Now, here's my point. If you saw this woman, if you saw her, you would be like, oh my gosh, we got we to gotta help her, right? If you knew that there was somebody that could heal her, if you knew there was somebody on this planet that could, that could, that could give back her life, man, they'd be like, let's go, let's get her there, let's, let's, let's move in that way. I'm coming on a button. Um, we got we to gotta go, right? We, we've got to get this person someplace where she can get help because she's, she's deathly, deathly ill, right? Um, let me show you another picture. This is my dad. That's my dad, Gary. Best dad ever. You can disagree, but uh, you're wrong. Um, now, Gary, Gary looks healthy, right? He, he, he's obviously he's hiked a delicate arch, looking fresh, looking good. He's got, a, he's got the shades on. He's got a good jacket. Clearly, you know, he's got a, he must have, must have some money. He's got, he got enough to afford a jacket, nice warm jacket. He lives in a nice house, and Gary's fine, Right? You see, here's the deal. My mom, actually, she survived that, which is crazy. Um, praise be to God for the prayers of people in this room, prayers of their church back home, where, where they're from. And um, she pulled through, and she's, she's going to make pretty much a full, full recovery from that, which is, which is insanity. Um, it's pr- pretty rare um, that that happens. It's quite a miracle. Um, my dad, on the other hand, my dad has a terminal illness. He has a neurodegenerative disease that's going to take his life. He looks fine. It's happy. Hot the delicate arch, it's good to go, right? No. It's this thing that you don't see that's going on inside of his body, and there's no cure for it. See, he, here's my point. When someone is in trouble and you hear their screams and their cries for help, whether it's sickness in the ICU or a child in, in pain, and we're quick to move, to, to bring rescue. How, how can I help? But what Jesus is trying to get us to see is this. Every single one of us has a far worse disease than my mom or my dad. Every single one of us has a, is far worse off than the worst person that you can begin to imagine. We have an eternal disease. We've been separated from God from, by our sin. We are condemned to endure his wrath because we have rebelled against the God of the universe and we deeply, desperately need the forgiveness of sins. And some of you in this, morning, in this room this morning, you are followers of Jesus. You love Jesus with all of your heart and you've given your life to him and you have been rescued and redeemed from that illness. Praise be to his name. But there's people in your life, many people in your life that are not. They're not. They're far sicker than my mom. They're far sicker than my dad. They need Jesus more than they need the breath in their lungs, more than they need the blood that flows through their veins. They need him. And so we, we sit back and we don't, we don't think, yes, when they're in pain, when they're in crisis, we're like, how can I help? But then the rest of the time, we're just like, they seem fine. They're not fine. And, I, and this is what Jesus doesn't want you to miss, and I don't want you to miss. He has the power, the authority on earth to forgive sins. He goes to the cross. Listen, all of those other sins, or all of those other ailments, all of those other diseases, the, the paralyzed boy, my mom, the, the people who, had, who, who cast out demons, the, the woman with the fever, all of them, that was easy for him. He didn't lift a finger. He was like, get up. 
That's easy. You know, you know no, like, listen, that took zero effort from him. He was like, paralysis, no big deal. Demon possession, no big deal, right? But to forgive you and I cost him his life. It's the greater disease. There's only one cure. It's Christ alone. The blood of Christ is the only cure. He had to go to the cross. He had to die in your place. There, there was no cure for the disease. Death was required, and so he paid it. He gave his life for you and for me. He gave it for your neighbors, for your friends, your coworkers, your family members who do not know him yet. It's time, it's time, church, that we have just a little bit more desperation for the people in our lives that do not know him. Who is it going to be? Who is the person in your heart right now that, or the person in your mind, the picture that you have in your mind? Who is the person that needs Christ, that needs to know the beauty and the glory of the one who has the authority to forgive sins? Who is that person? Let's make 2018 about them. Let's make 2018 about, about getting them on a mat and bringing them in and cutting a hole in the roof and just shoving them in. Like, whatever you got to do, I don't care. Like, whatever you got to do, let's, let's make 2018 a, a year of desperation for their lives. I mean, you've got to experience Jesus. You, you just got to be laid at his feet. You got to know the Savior of the world. You got to know the power that is in him, the authority to forgive your sins. To remove what stands in between you and God, to bring you in a right standing with Him. He has the authority to do that, and He's the only one. You need Him more than you need to be freed from cancer. You need Him more than you need to be uh, freed from broken relationships. You need Him more than, than you need anything in this world. Let, let us be a people see that clearly. And maybe for you, maybe this morning um, is the morning that, that you begin that relationship. You begin that relationship with him and you say, I, I need you, Jesus. I need you more than anything in this world. And, and you lay at his feet. You lay yourself at the cross and you say, I, I give my life to you. It's, it's yours. It's yours. I came to be healed from my earthly condition, but, I come, but now I realize that you're changing my eternal condition. Maybe this morning is that morning for you. Maybe this morning is the morning where, where maybe, maybe you did that a long time ago, but maybe this morning is the morning when you say, man, I, I need to begin to pursue this person in my life. I've put it off for far too long. I put it off because maybe I would feel embarrassed I don't know how they would respond. Um, I don't, it's, it's somebody at work, and that could get awkward. It's somebody in my family, and I, I know that they can get a little grumpy when we have that conversation. What if they look like my mom? Would you jump in and help them out? They're far worse off than she was. Far worse off. It's time for us to move. It's time for us to be the ones that pick up our friends on the mat and say, you've got to experience he has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to make them right. Let's get them there. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. Not me, not any man, not any woman. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you.
And there's people in my life who are facing an eternity without you. An eternity of suffering and loss, separated from the God who loves them. The God who has sought them and who has given their life for them. But they have rejected you. They're building their own kingdom. Trying to secure their own hopes and dreams. To draw them near to you. Would you give me the courage? Would you give the men and women in this room this morning the courage, the urgency to engage, to speak up, to use our voices that you've given us, to use, to use the language that you've created, to use, to use the energy that, that we have because you are good to us, to bring them to a place where they might see you more clearly, move in their lives, pursue them, we beg you, Change our prayers, change our minds, change our hearts, change our attitudes. The way we see you, the way we see the ones that we love. Creating us a new heart. Do a new thing in this place. Make 2018 the year of urgency for our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our loved ones. Pray these things in your sweet name.